0: hey guys and welcome to this week's episode of last stop waterfowl outdoors as always i'd like to thank everybody and welcome them to the show i'm your host jacob robery in this week's episode guys we're talking waterfowl season as we're getting ready for hunting season we got uh bow season coming up we have uh teal season right around the corner here in uh, louisiana opening up next month and on this week's show guys i'm really happy to welcome one of my, my good friends he's uh He's got a lot of outdoor uh, expertise in the field in many different areas. He's a, he's a big outdoorsman, um, and you know, I look forward to kind of picking his brain this week and introducing you, you guys that listen to us, uh, to him. And his name uh, is Robert Rogers. Robert resides in uh, Monroe, Louisiana. And Robert, man, you you on? I'm, 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 I'm welcome to the show, man. Thank you for having me. Well, good, man. Super glad to have you on, buddy. How, how's everything going, man? It's uh, it's nothing but hot here. Hey, man. the last couple of uh, episodes, it's unbearable right now in August, isn't it? It
1: sure is. Last weekend was about the hottest weekend I've had so far this year.
0: Yeah. Uh, man, I tell you, I, if it's like anything like me right now, it's hard to get out there and start prepping for uh for the season, man. As hot as it's been lately, you know, we've been looking at what I mean with the with the heat index lately. We've been looking at temperatures above 100 degrees here in Louisiana. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you kind of experiencing the same thing in North Louisiana. Oh uh, yeah, I think last weekend, last Sunday afternoon, it was I think it hit about 105. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy, man. It's it's hard to get into the mood. But, we, you know, with till season opening up next month here in the state, uh, we're kind of waiting. Usually, you know, around this time, maybe a little bit later in the month, you might get that first slight break in, in that heat. Um, and that first little, I hate to call it a cold—a a cool front, or even a, it's definitely not a cold front, but a cool front, you start, it seems like that's kind of the time of year when that first little group of tills starts showing up. We've actually got some already
1: showing up here do you yeah yeah I've talked to a couple different guys on a couple different farms around here they're start they're starting to see some small groups in you know the 25 to 50 range really yeah
0: well that's that's good news that's good to see you know early on I, I did hear a couple of a couple of people I talked to told me that they were seeing starting to see groups of about three to three to ten birds in a group maybe kind of in the uh, in some of the fields. Um, I know in the rice fields, a lot a lot of the farmers are planning right now, so that's a big thing, and that's something we're actually going to talk about as we move further into this episode. Is kind of, you know, the uh, the planting habits over the years versus where they are now in the industry, and I, I'm interested to get your take on that. I know I know you study a lot of that, and that's something I'm, I'm interested in getting your your take on. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Well, guys. In case you haven't heard, there, there's a lots of, uh, lots of information that's been coming out from Wildlife and Fisheries here in Louisiana. Um, they have some announcements that I definitely wanted to mention to you um, that could affect some of you guys, especially uh, one, one of these is going to be on the south end of the state and another one on the north end. Um, Wildlife and Fisheries sent out some information or, or put out a press release earlier this week. Stating that they are going to do a drawdown on Henderson Lake. Also, another drawdown is going to take place on on Lake Darbone over in Union Parish. And that's how far is Lake Darbone from you, Rob?
1: From my house in Westman Road, Darbone
0: is right at about
1: 15, 20 miles. Okay. So you're not far at all then? No, no. Darbone really doesn't affect the waterfowl around here because there's so much agriculture.
0: Well and that, that was kind of a question I was going to ask you in regards to darbone. I mean it, it is uh, do a lot of guys waterfowl hunt darbone because I know Jared. Jared who's in our uh, in our, we share a camp together in the Chapala Basin. Jared hunts he tends to make a couple of trips up to darbone every year and make some waterfowl hunts. And I know they kill a lot of divers like you uh you know some of you diving ducks, your canvasbacks, stuff like that. Yeah, but, yeah I,
1: canvasbacks, you know, golden eyes,
0: uh Uh, A
1: lot of, a lot of your fish eating ducks, uh, unless, you know, they don't, a lot of people don't hunt Darbon Lake, particularly they hunt Darbon Refuge, which is the actual running bayou. There's a federal refuge uh, that comes right off the river. The refuge starts about three miles off of the Ouachita River uh, going up the bayou to the lake. Okay. Okay. And it's so, when the water, when the river gets up, it floods just like uh, any flooded timber you'll see in Arkansas.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, that's good to know. That's interesting, then. As far as the lake itself, I mean, you, uh, from what it sounds like, it's mostly divers, divers species. I'm assuming it's a little bit deeper water.
1: It is. It is. Yeah. Um, there's some big flats out there that, uh, that people hunt. And now Darbone will get good. I can remember when I was younger, Darbone would be good when when all the fields lock up and freeze, and there's no open water. The lakes are open. Okay, so you got you got four or five really good lakes around here. Um, Darbon being one of them, and then you go south of Tallulah to a little little hidden honey hole called Yucatan Lake. And on the north end of Yucatan, it's nothing but a big willow flat.
0: Okay. Hey, the, is that the area that you sent some video to me last year on? You were scouting out? That was Darbone Refuge, yes. That, that was Darbone Refuge. Okay, gotcha. Yep. Gotcha. Well, Darbone, the reason we're talking about Darbone, guys, is because Lake Day, Wildlife Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries made an announcement this week that starting uh, on September 8th, they're going to be doing a drawdown on Lake Darbone. And that's going to go all the way through November 15th. So that's right around – uh, up to the first opener in the, in the east zone, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'd have to double-check my dates for the east zone. But uh, what the, the point behind this drawdown um, is that they're looking to, uh, you know, attack some of that invasive species like Salvania. Um, I know giant Salvania and Salvania has been a big problem in a lot of the, the wildlife management areas across the state. Um, so the drawdown that they're, they're doing here on Lake Darbone in north Louisiana is the same drawdown that they're going to be doing starting here shortly on Henderson Lake. And Henderson Lake is down south here, located between Lafayette and Baton Rouge. Um, That encompasses a lot of the Chapel Basin region. Um, And also Sherbourne Wildlife Management Area, which is where we have a camp based out of. Um, It's located just a couple of miles uh, as a bird flies from there. Um, and they've started noticing that th- they have a lot of – starting to get a lot of salvania chalking up those waterways. And they're, they're, this drawdown is is supposed to help um, attack some of that invasive species and clear it up. Now, it's also going to help out the fishing from what they're saying, Robert, uh, because once again, it, it, it'll make better habitat for the fish as well. Um, doing a drawdown like that tends to, to help the fish in many, many years when they do it, you know. So it's probably a really good thing. And honestly, Robert, I'm just glad to see our our wildlife fisheries, you know, taking action on on these two areas. Absolutely. I I am a little
1: worried about Darbone because there's only, you know, everybody up here knows that you don't get outside of the boat runs at Darbone. Really? So if they draw down Darbone low enough to,
0: I don't know, when did they do that big draw down at Toledo? five Ooh, years ago yeah a couple of years ago and they shoot this past year this past year they had a big drought at Taluda. well
1: if they if they draw down darbone 10 foot it's gonna it's gonna congregate those fish in the boat runs
0: and it, it'll
1: be it'll be easy pickings
0: yeah you, so they're gonna have, have a, to be careful correct yeah i can see that happening i mean that, you know, and that's all part of where our tax dollars come in, our funding for the state to, to fund wildlife and fisheries. You know, when, when we have situations like that, that, those guys, we just have to, you know, put our faith in them and hope that they do their job in, in monitoring that the way it should be, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. And we got we got some really good guys up here. Um, I, I've,
1: I've, I've had some run-ins with the wildlife fisheries, not any bad things, um, but – uh, I know a couple of them, and they're they're just solid people. They they love to hunt. They're conservationists, and and they they really love doing what they do. Yeah,
0: and, and look, let's be honest. Most game wardens and agents that we know are like that. They 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 got into it for the love of the sport, just like we we have, you know. And uh, you know, unfortunately, sometimes they're handcuffed with the funding that's provided to them in order to do the jobs that we as you know, consumers and as hunters and outdoorsmen feel that they need to do. So, you know, it's not it's not necessarily their fault. There's a lot of decisions that are made, you know, above their heads oftentimes. And unfortunately that's just where politics plays into it, you know? That's right. Yeah. So but look guys, another announcement that I want to bring up for for this upcoming season. Um, especially all you wood duck guys that, that you, you hunt the creeks, you hunt a lot of you, a lot of wood ducks throughout the season. There is a new uh, a new banning procedure that has uh, taken place this year. Uh, Basically, Wildlife and Fisheries, Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries and the LSU School of Renewable Natural Resources and several other partners are conducting a study of box nesting wood ducks across the southeastern and mid-Atlantic states, including Louisiana. So our state is included in that. And what they go on to say is that the study is being conducted to evaluate the reproduction from wood duck nest boxes maintained by Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries. So what you're going to see is if you are to knock down a wood duck this year, um, there is two types of bands that's going to be available in this situation, Robert. So you're going to have you're going to have some. If you're lucky enough to kill a banded wood duck, you may have the traditional band, the regular round band that you see around the foot. But with this program, if you kill a wood duck this year and you see an odd-looking band on it, um, it could be. It, it's more than likely going to be part of this new, this new uh, process that they they're monitoring this year. And what it says is yeah. nesting female wood ducks captured during nest box checks are banded with standard aluminum leg bands. That's your normal ones that we're used to seeing banded birds. Ducklings yep. have small metal tags affixed to the webbing between their toes so they may not be identified during preseason banding efforts. So the new bands, what they're saying here is that they're going to have a small metal band between the webbing of their feet this year. So, guys, if you see something like that and you knock down a wood duck this year, this is only on wood ducks that they're doing this from what from what it looks like. Um, that is part of this program of Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries, and they have a website that you could go to to report that because they want to try to track that those bands. That website is www.reportband.gov. So if you if you see, once again, one of these metal bands in between the webbing of the foot on these wood ducks that you kill here in the state this year, they really are asking for our cooperation to report that information this year. So that's something important to keep in mind, guys. That's new for this year. What's your take on that, Robert? Do you have any, any opinion on that? Uh- yeah, I, I just I want to I
1: want to say that you know it's important that we that we all chip in and and pay attention and if you do it you know report it you know yeah. that the way they can have accurate studies and yeah. and and help our
0: help you know populate yeah help us as hunters and help the populations you know because look at the end of the day. You know, and and this is what a lot of people, you know, they, they don't get, I guess you could say. These organizations such as, you know, your Ducks Unlimited and your Delta waterfowl and all, the, all these organizations, at the end of the day, guys, their job is to promote the longevity of the species. Uh, wh- whatever waterfowl species or waterfowl in general, their job is to, you know, to make sure that future generations have access to waterfowl hunting. Am I not correct on that, Robert? No, absolutely.
1: I mean, it's up here, it's getting harder and harder. Yeah. Yeah, and that's something
0: I, I want to pick your brain on, man, in a, in, in a few minutes on that. We're going to get into that. Um, yeah. Now, something you were talking about, user you know, feedback, Robert, that's, that's so important because, as many of you know, guys, they send out surveys that are available after the season typically. Um, you have things such as hip certification surveys. There's a lot of different surveys. There's meetings that are publicly held by Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries and other other organizations to gather hunter feedback, and and they want to hear opinions to in order to make future regulations and rules and guidelines. So the biggest one in the news that that everybody's talking about coming out of this past week, Robert, is they're looking at possibly next year for the 2021 to 2025 season, uh, going back to a two zone. Instead of a three zone like we got now, and a two split east west boundary. So I don't know. I don't know what your take is on that. But you know, does it make a lot of sense for us to be and have three zones like it is right now? Coastal versus east versus west. What's your take on that? Um, I can see why. Well,
1: I can see why they went to a coastal zone back in the what
0: the eighties. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, they they changed it up over the years. Coming up, I know they 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 changed it up many different times, which is what they you know every so many years it seems like they'll they'll kind of change it up if they think they can improve on something. So it, it's been back and forth a couple of times. But look, I grew up in Evangeline Parish, Robert, and, and you know Ville Platte, all that area. A few years ago, they had Evangeline Parish, which is you know located west west kind of central west part of the state. They had them in the coastal zone. Part of it, you know, yeah, which, which was kind well, of crazy, you know. I, I thought well, that was absolutely—I I didn't know how that ever happened, but that's—that was the situation.
1: Honestly, I, I wouldn't mind seeing it from Alexandria South be a coastal zone because here yeah. and here's why I say that. I've noticed over the past—I don't know, five, ten years—we'll get that one initial good hard front in October. You know, and it'll get hot again. But within that that front, that's when we really start getting excited because at night you can stand outside and you can hear geese flying. You can go out to your farms. You can check your blinds. That's when everybody starts getting ready. That's when birds are sitting on the water. We're already – last year was, was a phenomenal opening weekend for us in November, but it tapered off real quick. But Two weeks before the season, we had some 20-degree nights. Yeah, and, I remember that. And so we were piled up with ducks. And yeah. if the coastal zone doesn't open
0: before we do, they're y'all are never going to see birds down there. Well, I mean, look, this is what what doesn't make sense to me. Okay, those birds, it takes them a little while to migrate down, down to the coastline, say your Venice area or your, your coastal zone area. Okay. yeah. But but yet the last several years, the coastal zone is the first is the first zone to open up in the state when duck season comes around. Does that make any sense to you? Because, you know, no, I would almost rather
1: them open duck season for the entire state of Louisiana the day after
0: Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of hunters have been pushing for later dates. You know, the guys in the coastal zone, I'm right here. In Ascension Parish in Gonzales, Louisiana, we, we're not far from the coastal zone, you know, and uh, and a lot of guys keep saying that stressing that they would like to see the season push back to where you know we we maybe even push into early February. And, Absolutely, and, you know, guys, mid February
1: because it doesn't get cold. I mean, we don't get the Arctic fronts that we used to get.
0: Yeah, for At some reason, or that's right. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and, the, and the argument, the, the the opposite point, I guess, that you hear the officials make is that they don't, they can't push it back because it starts, it starts interfering with the with the pairing up and the mating season heading, you know, for mating season for them to be able to make the transition back up north successfully and be able to uh, find a partner to be able to mate with, and, and that's that's something that you always hear is a is a comeback. It seems like. When uh, I, when that's, a, that's, a, cop about out. What's that's that? a cop out
1: to me. That's a cop out to me. Okay. They start they start pairing up in mid December.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, you do see, see right it. in the middle of the second split or the beginning of the second split. Yeah, yeah, and I agree with that. I, 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 you do see them pairing up earlier. You know, it seems like it's earlier and earlier than it used to be. You know. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah, but. I don't know. There, there's a lot of there's a lot of give and take there, but this this particular release that was uh that was put out this week um what they're recommending is a two zone two split east west boundary option for the 20 to tw- or sorry, 2021 through 2025 waterfowl hunting seasons. Um and they say that this this suggestion was actually uh from comments from other hunters. Okay. So I'm going to kind of call BS on that. I have to admit, because from what me and you talking about, we kind of in agreement on that, that we don't, we don't find other hunters that we hunt with asking for, you know, uh, earlier seasons for damn sure. Um, Yeah. And, you know, I know guys, some guys keep, you know, talk about maybe just opening up the whole state, not even having a split. That's another thing that's come up, you know, what, what, What's your take on that? Like, if we were not to have a split whatsoever during the season, if we had sixty
1: what sixty days straight, yeah, I would like if that was even an option. I like having a split because if 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 we catch it, if we if the split and we catch a cold front during the split, it allows birds to get here, get comfortable, they set up, they feed, they loaf. And they're here and they stay here. Now if we catch it and it, you know, we have one of those December's where on Christmas Day it's 75 degrees. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're back in North Arkansas, if not uh in you know, um Western Oklahoma, eastern Oklahoma. Yeah. So and and, and from what I've noticed, I'll tell you this last year. Um, I drove from Monroe to southern Arkansas all the way up to um, some little cities that they have up there, Wilmont, Arkansas, uh, Montrose. And then I cut across to a little town called Eudora, which then jumped on 65 and came south and followed the Mississippi all the way down to Clayton. Okay. Looking, searching for birds. It was probably a 200 mile round trip, 250 mile round trip. I made. Gotcha. And there is in right outside of Wilmont, Arkansas. There's a place called Green Tree Reservoir. Okay. And it is a it is a world it is a renowned place in North Louisiana and Southern Arkansas. Now. I didn't see a single duck in it. The boat run only had about six inches of water because Arkansas Game and Fish used to pay to flood it. Now they're not even—they're not flooding it. They're not even—they're not even opening the gates and letting
0: it naturally flood.
1: It's they, all. It water.
0: Funding? Is it funding problems that—that's why? I think it is.
1: I think it is. But I really—I I can't get a straight answer out of anybody. Anymore. Back in the the early two thousands, late nineties, they would pump it. I mean, God. Arkansas would pay to pump it, and now they're not doing that, and that's hurting us because yeah. it's a it's a really good resting spot for those ducks coming from. I mean, you can look on a map, and you can go from northeast Arkansas down to Stuttgart. Down to Bastrop. Well, Stuttgart, Pine Bluff, Wilmont, Bastrop. Where Simmons Sporting Goods is. Yeah. Okay. And that is a straight line. And there's about four or five refuges that these ducks sit at. The whole way. They just stop. They eat. They get up and they fly the next morning. Or a couple days later. And... When there's no water in there, there's, there's, there's nothing for them to, there's nowhere for them to loaf. Yeah. And, you know, you and I were talking about some farming practices. I used to have a camp up there back when I was in high school. We had, we had eight pit blinds that we rotated through. So we had about 3000 acres of rice. Okay. And just to be clear for our listeners, what, what area is this that where you had a place at? north uh southeast
0: Arkansas and right outside of Wilmot, Arkansas. Okay. Okay. So we we in the Mississippi Fly Zone, of course, and th- this right. is, is this. How far from Louisiana border is this? Um, sixty miles. Okay, so you're right above.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it. It literally takes me one hour to drive from my house to Green Tree Reservoir. Okay. And so. I've been going up there for years. I went up there year before last and rode around on the farm that I used to be a member at. They have pulled up every single block. Somebody bought the farm when when the old man died that, that used to farm it. Somebody okay. out of uh, out of New York, a lady out of New York bought the farm. Really? She, yep. She subleases to three different farmers in the area and they have strict rules about no hunting anymore, no leasing. She doesn't want to deal with the insurance. She doesn't want to deal with the leasing part of it. So now they've gone in and they've completely changed the roads to all the farms to make, you know, 200 acre fields, straight wow. 200 acre block. Wow. And so strictly for farming. Strictly for farming. So there's, you know, used to be in the late 90s and early 2000s, once they got south of Stuttgart, it was nothing but a sheet of water from Pine Bluff all the way to Alexandria. Yeah. Now, now it's nothing but dry ground. Yeah. So they don't stop. They don't, I mean, ducks have to have water. You know, that's they they sit in they sit on the water in the evening times and
0: rest before they get up and fly the next day or two. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, two things to survive: you got to have food, you got to have water. There's no doubt about that. You know. You know, and 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 then also,
1: go ahead. I'm sorry. Also, the equipment that these guys are farming with now, the computer systems that, um. You know the the yield population of what uh what um rice to, you know how much rice they get out of the ground compared to what they used to get out of the ground. Yeah, a ratio of the consumption better. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're not leaving any food on the ground
0: anymore. Yeah, and that you know I read an article on that um, just a couple of couple of weeks back, and that was one of the main things they stated. You know, is that how much more Advanced the, the machinery is for the farmers that are using it. You know, the, the combine companies and all these companies producing the, these, this heavy equipment that the farmers are using. They're not in the business to, to leave more, more grain on the ground, you know, and that they're oh, looking you- to, to utilize every bit of that grain on the ground, you know, that, so it's not on the ground. Let me say that. Um, Correct. which means there's less food source for, for the, for the waterfowl. Well, used
1: to be the farmer handled all the leasing, so he would want to leave food on the ground so that ducks would show up so people would lease the property. Yeah. Because that's money in their pocket. That's right. It was his off-season income source. That's right. So now when when you're not hunting it, you're not keeping water on it, they harvest, they drain the water, they come back in and they till it, and they get ready for next year to plant. Yeah. So, that there's, I mean, it's, it's just dry ground with no food at all.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and then you hear the complete opposite. You know, a lot of guys, we know how hard the seasons have been. Arkansas's complaining. Missouri's complaining. Louisiana, of course, we're complaining the last decade or so. that We're seeing – look, if you out there, guys, and you are blind to the fact or don't want to believe the fact that we are seeing less birds, then you have to be – you have to be out your mind. I'm just going to be honest with you. I mean, there, it, if you don't see it, then you don't you don't want to see it. But there is definitely a decrease in what we're seeing year after year after year after year. And, Robert, a lot of these things we're talking about right here, these foreman practices, have changed so much over the last couple of decades. That's a huge part of it, you know. You hear a lot of guys <laughs> talk about heated ponds. And, you know, on the uh, on the other side of the spectrum of what we're talking about, there, there's a lot of places like you know your 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 um uh, your habitat flats that uh you you see tony Vandemore. those guys are forming four waterfowl and and, and comparing yeah. that to what you were kind of talking about like this place you used to have in arkansas it sounds like that's a lot of what that used to be you know and that's changed correct but it wasn't
1: it it wasn't on purpose like it is now you look at you look at tony Vandemore with habitat flats you look at uh day 60 with uh you know on on Instagram you follow those guys they travel from Oklahoma, Missouri, Arkansas um you look at um Foils or uh, what's his name
0: Jeff, Jeff uh, Falls yeah Jeff Falls is the one who got Jeff Foles. got a lot of heat the last uh several years ago That's right but he has now moved to Iowa
1: Is that where he and- I'm pretty sure. I think he splits his time now. Yeah, he because- may be. I don't
0: know. I, I know. I know when I was at well, you look and for those those of you guys listening, me and Robert go back a long way. Me and Robert worked together at Cabela's, and and I remember, I, and you probably do too, Robert. They used to have every shelf was uh, Jeff Falls. He had duck calls, bags, everything. And when that all went down on him for baiting, that he pretty much lost everything in the industry, all respect yeah. from all the big retailers.
1: Well, I think he went back to guiding and the only way for him to really produce was to be north of the Mason Dixon line along the Mississippi somewhere where, where the birds were, you know, I I think, I think the flyway is shifting West. I think it's more of, instead of the Mississippi flyway being the dominant flyway, I think it's now the Colorado river because reason I say that, is Oklahoma has been producing stupid, stupid kind of numbers over the last five years. Yeah. I know people here in Monroe that have gotten out of duck leases and said, Man, it's just it's entirely too expensive now. I mean, you got guys paying sixteen thousand dollars for a blind yeah. when they can go spend three thousand and go to Eastern Oklahoma and hunt for a week and kill 500 birds in a week.
0: Yeah. That's a good point. Really good point.
1: So, I mean, one of the best spots in Northeast Louisiana, there's, there's two places that I'm going to, that I'm going to name. And one of them is, both of them are privately owned. One of them, Allows people to lease blinds, and one of them it's an invite-only kind of deal. You got McGowan break that the break itself is 568 acres, and it butts up to the to the Washtaw River, and it's right outside of Bastrop. And they average on a on a good year, they average 25 to 2800 birds a year. Wow. Last year I think they only killed 1200
0: birds. Wow, yeah, significant decrease then.
1: Just south of Monroe, um it's called Richland Plantation. It's off of Highway 15 and um a gentleman owns all that property. Uh one of my one of my childhood best friends, they lucked up and was able to get they were grandfathered into this property. They own 40 acres that is their property personally. And this farmer that owns, you know, thousands and thousands of acres in the area, had, he couldn't do nothing about it. Anyway, they have one of the best blinds on what we call Richland Plantation. Okay. They average, they average anywhere from <laughs> 2,000 to, you know, 25, 2,800 birds a year. Most of that is teal.
0: Yeah.
1: Until later in the season, around Christmas, you'll start getting a bunch of mallards. But last year I think I think they only killed roughly a thousand birds, thirteen hundred birds.
0: Hmm.
1: And ninety I'll say this, I'll I'll step out there and say ninety-five percent of that was teal. Okay. So the big bird count is you know, the last two or three years, I've seen, you know, wildlife fisheries is they they did a flyover and there's you know nine million more mallards in the area that there's ever been. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah,
1: that's a that's a that's a load.
0: Yeah, you know, I've lost so I much. I that one little bit. No, and I agree with you hundred percent. I think most of us who public land waterfowl, whether you public land waterfowl hunt or we. We private leasing, you know, I think we all feel that those surveys are an absolute crock of shit. Let's just be honest, you know, (laughs) (laughs) because I mean, every year, you know, except, except I say every year, last year, I do remember it coming out and they were like, Oh, the numbers don't look good. Well, Hey, no shit. It don't take take a biologist or a rocket scientist to figure that out. You know, the numbers have been looking bad. They've been decreasing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You could go on the scout and see that. When you
1: got guys that, what what I've been, what it's been, the way it's been explained to me is hot cropping. I don't know if you've heard anything like that. I've heard that term. What they do is they'll have they'll plant midget corn. It's a it's a specific strain of corn, and it only grows four foot tall, and they'll plant it. And then they'll put two foot of water on it, and they'll let it sit. They won't harvest it. They want nothing, and they'll hold the ducks until they're ready to go shoot them. They'll go burn them out, and and they'll they'll eat that field out. They'll draw the water off, and not twenty yards to the left of them is another hundred acre field of midget corn that was dry. They'll put the they'll put the water on it, and three days later, there's. 5 6000 birds sitting in that. Good, uh. So the birds are never leaving their areas cuz number 1, we haven't had cold enough winters to freeze anything uh in Missouri and Arkansas
0: lately. Yeah, if we do I get cold, cold the, the only cold. thing that's going to get those birds to move is it has to freeze up for them to get out of there. That's right. The water has to lock up
1: cuz let, let, let's face it, they come from Canada. They can handle cold. Yeah they can't not handle water and food. Yeah. They can withstand cold as long as the water and the food are there. Yeah. So That's a good point. if the water doesn't – if it don't freeze up, they don't have to go nowhere. That's
0: right. So essentially what you're saying time. there is – in theory what you're saying is that if this is occurring throughout the U.S. and the flyways, that, they're, that these places that are doing this are holding these birds there in their areas throughout the entire season, as long as you don't get the cold weather and freeze it over.
1: Correct. They're, they're stopping them. You yeah. go go on Facebook and look up White Oak, uh, White Oak Plantation or White Oak Duck Woods, uh, Coca-Cola Woods. Um, you got a guy in Arkansas by the name of Rusty Creasy. Um, he's, he teams up with all the Echo guys, and he's a guide at a place called the Coca-Cola Woods. He plants, he's got a, in the middle of his woods, they have a 60-acre hole in the timber that he goes in and he plants it full of rice and floods it up, and they don't hunt. The only time they hunt it is youth season, huh. and that's it. The rest of it, it's their sanctuary. It's their rest area. They don't, they don't touch it. They don't go in there. They don't, they don't bother the ducks. So they sit there all year. If it don't freeze up, they sit there until the food is gone. Gotcha. And, yeah. and you got you got Mark Farmer, which he he's um he's the the mastermind behind White Oak Plantation, and 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 what they do up there is phenomenal. Don't get me wrong; I'm not bad mouthing him at all. I'm actually jealous.
0: Yeah. No, I uh, understand. Most of us would be. We we just we're yeah. just you know. It, it sounds like you have a lot of knowledge on those particular, and, and that's why I wanted you on the show this week, Robert. because I know you into that. You you do your research. You have a lot of knowledge that you can share with our listeners. And that's, that's why we right. wanted you on.
1: Well, I appreciate
0: it. I, I, I don't miss an episode. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there. The, like we said, the foreman practices have just changed so much over the years. What, what else? What other, uh, you know, the, factors do you see that have have changed and slowed it down? Is there anything else other than, I mean, what's your take on the whole climate change deal? Because that's a big thing that comes into play a lot of times. People talk about oldest. Um, And and not to cut you off, but I I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's a big political issue, of course, but as waterfowl hunters, I'm a couple of generations older than you are. You know, and I could see it from when I was hunting as a youth with my dad when we started out waterfowl hunting, how we talked, I think you mentioned that a while ago, how it just it doesn't get as cold as it used to. Well, maybe not a lot of topics and discussions discuss climate change between waterfowl hunters, but if I had to bet, I'd probably say about 90 to 95% of waterfowl hunters have that in the back of their mind at some point when they see less numbers every year. What's your take on that?
1: I would say climate is 90% of our shortage of birds because okay. um, not only do you have these practice changes in farming, not only do you have these people that are making money off of guide services and they're farming for ducks, but you look at most of these places and where they're at most Northeast Arkansas, Missouri, um, Iowa, um, you know, you got all these places along the Mississippi Delta and then you got these places along the Mississippi river up North. Um, When I was 13 years old, between from the time that I was 12 to the time that I was 15 I can remember every year you know having to break an inch and a half of ice you had to ride the four-wheeler out into the pond break the ice and you'd have to break it in sheets and slide it back up under the rest of the ice yeah. you know yeah. you had to have open water for the ducks to land um it's probably been 3 years since I've hunted and had ice ice be a problem I can remember when I was a kid you know we would have at least one ice storm a year during during hunting season and it, it you know we'd have I don't know a week or two of just bitter cold yeah and now it seems like that is getting pushed later and later in the year my parents live in Little Rock and It's not until mid to late February they're getting snow and bitter cold. And then it goes into March. I can remember 10 years ago, they had six inches of snow on March 3rd. Wow. You know? Um, So, the climate is – I think climate is one of the biggest things. Now, we can't control Mother Nature. We kind of have to just deal with what we got. Yeah, definitely. I do think that there's there's so much food in the Midwest that they don't – if it doesn't freeze up there, they don't have to come south.
0: No. No, they don't. You know, you mentioned Oklahoma a while ago. Oklahoma has made a lot of headlines for waterfowl hunting over the last several, several seasons, uh, in particular, Jared – I'll mention Jared again. Jared Hughes is in our duck camp with us. He's a uh, big outdoorsman as well. And and you know Jared as well. He, him and a, uh, a buddy took a trip. They got in the truck last year. They were they were just fed up with the waterfowl hunting here in the state. And they yep. uh, they took a trip up to Oklahoma last year, packed the truck up, packed their gear, brought their shot, their decoys and, and, and you know, guns and shells. And they went and start knocking on farmers' doors and people who had big, big farms. In Oklahoma, and they they had some of the best hunts. Jerry told me he's ever hunted in his life in Oklahoma last year. He said, first of oh, all, yeah. it was a completely different atmosphere than down here. The way the, the way they you know that you know these these property owners would were, were so very nice. They were very welcoming to him. Now I, I don't want to say <laughs> everybody packed the truck this year and headed to Arkansas and Oklahoma and all these other places and go knock on people's doors. That's not necessarily what we're promoting, but. That's what they did in this situation, and he said "He said the people were so welcoming. They loved that they were from Louisiana. They had an interest to waterfowl hunt, and he, and he said almost every farmer they talked to, they were like, hell yeah, go, utilize what you want. You know, just don't don't kill more than you're su- not supposed to, uh, but, man, they're a nuisance to our crops. Go ahead and go hunt them, and, and he had, we had posted some video clips on our Facebook page last this past year of them setting up on some cow ponds and, and on these farms, and the mallards are just cupping into these little small cow ponds. It, it was absolutely insane. yeah. They're
1: not even an acre. They're not even an acre pond, and that, they, there's so many there's so many
0: ducks sitting on them. You can't see water. That's it. That's it. And uh, you know, he he said he said it's like something I, we've never experienced living here in Louisiana. It was just that's how many birds they had, and the birds were just not gun shy at all. They'd work right in. He said we, we we'd hardly even have to call. They'd come straight to the decoys and cup in. You
1: know. Oh, uh, Jacob, I can I can remember in the late nineties. There's a place here just south of Monroe called Bosco, a little community, and there's a there's a hunting camp there. It's no, it's a it's four or five hundred acres of of nothing but timber. They pulled a levee around, just one big square block, and it's called Salt Lake. I can remember as a kid going with my dad and some of his customers to this place and you couldn't even get on pad because they took a, they took a track hoe and dug a trench all the way around the perimeter for the boat run. You couldn't even get on pad because you you were knocking ducks out of the way with the boat by the, you were done. You didn't, you didn't pull your gun to shoot a wood duck, a teal, or a great, up, because there was so many mallards in the area. You were guaranteed. It didn't matter if you were hunting by yourself or you had 10 people in the woods, you were guaranteed a limit from 99 to 2005. Wow. I, I can remember those days. One of the best hunts I ever had was on that Richland plantation. I was telling you about, uh, there's a little, there's a little hole, a little timber hole that we built a blind in. And it was blue, blue sky, sunshine, high, high pressure day. And I mean, no clouds in the sky. You could, the ducks looked like they needed mask as high as they were. And you could call as loud as you wanted to. And they would just, I mean, it looked like a piece of coal falling out of the sky.
0: Yeah. Just, just falling down in
1: heavens. Yeah. But you don't see that no more man. You don't see this year this year I saw something that I was that I've never seen and that was the pintail count was just outrageous this year. Yeah. I saw more pintails, I saw more pintails this year than I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean it was droves and droves and droves of pintails used to be that used to be mallards and
0: you just don't see the mallards like you used to, you know, it's crazy. Go, you know, piggybacking off what you're saying there is that you're not the first person that told me, you know, every year they're seeing more and more pintails show up. And and what's absolutely mind blowing is if you look at, you look at the regulations here in Louisiana, I think um, I'd have to go back and verify that, but I'm 99% sure. One pintail we allowed per hunter, you know?
1: uh yeah it, it was they moved it a couple of years ago it was two pintails and, and now it's one
0: yeah i think it's one this coming season and, and like i said i usually brush up on that pretty good before we open but i think i remember seeing it's one this year so but it, i mean one or two uh, still one or two yeah you know and, and you're seeing a lot more maybe uh, you know the statistics show something other than what we're seeing in the field but i agree with you more and more of us hunting or have been you know, pintails have been coming up, guys that want to put a pintail on the wall and mount a trophy, uh, uh, you know, a bull spring well, or something like that. You've had more and more. I, I mean, I just going off of memory, I've had more friends of mine be able to mount a, a pintail in the last probably four to five years than I could ever remember. Yeah. Well, and
1: another thing, you know, I I hate a pintail. I hate a pintail with all oh, my might. I'm the opposite. You can't tell- <laughs> You can't talk to them. You can't call at them ducks for nothing. Oh God, they are pretty I, when they come in. Know, though. Oh yeah, no, there ain't no doubt. Don't get me wrong. I got one on the wall two years ago. that it's a split. It's a it's a double sprig. That the longest
0: sprig's a ten inch sprig. Oh hell, I'm I, I, I'm jealous of that now. I gotta admit. <laughs> I, you never but, showed I mean, me that. I gotta get a picture of that, man. You need to take I'll a send picture of that. Picture. Because- I, Send us a picture, a picture of that and we're gonna put it up on our social media page on our Facebook and Instagram page. I'll send you a picture of it tonight. Yeah, we wanna we wanna see that. I'm sure everybody listening would like to see it. Yeah. Not I, uh, to put you
1: on the spot. I mean, no, no, not at all. I mean we have for for some reason here in the rice fields, we have a lot more opportunities at pentails than than a lot of people do. Yeah. Uh, especially, especially around, around your area, you know, y- y'all hunt, you know, y'all, y'all don't have the agriculture that we have.
0: Well, I'd say, you I'd know? say South Louisiana, we don't, because, you know, going back to foreman practices have changed over the years here, you know, in the coastal zone, South, the <laughs> South, of uh, you know, of I-10 I would tell you coming toward Baton Rouge, get your Gramercy, all those areas, that's all sugar yeah. cake nowadays. And,
1: not the i time
0: I ever seen a duck eating sugar cane, personally,
1: you know. Well, I mean, you go back you go back to what Scotlandville, um, back from where your hometown is. I mean, you go all that area is nothing but
0: rice fields. Well, that's it. I grew up in Evangeline Parish, we had Evangeline of Vols. we had all those areas. All all I grew up hunting was rice fields, you know, and many yep. of you listening, you if you Lafayette, Crowley, Rain, Eunice, all those areas. West part heading toward Lake Charles, it's rice fields. That's what that's what we no, grew up hunting. We were in pit blinds. We were hunting, kind of like it is up north in Monroe where you are. You know,
1: a, a lot of it is is like that here. If you if you own a private blind somewhere, you're in a pit blind.
0: Yeah, yeah. To so where as you come east, southeast in the state the portion where we are here, and further down, you got sugarcane practices now. You know, I think that's a huge part of what's killed Paul Swamp over the years. That and the introduction of, of you know, uh, Salvania and invasive species clogging up the swamp. That's a big part of it. But a huge part of it that you don't hear guys talk about is the agriculture change in this area. You know, Paul Swamp, right. we've talked about it on other episodes. It used to be the Stuttgart, Arkansas of Louisiana. They, would, they had so many mallards. That would come down to Marpole Swamp and stay here in the in the winter. It, it was insane, you know. For those of you who, who don't know Marpole Swamp, if you if you've watched any of the Duck Commander videos over the years, the original Duckman video that was shot years ago in the early '80s with uh, Phil Robertson of Duck Commander and at that time, Mr. Warren Coco who owns Go Devil, uh, they shot the original Duckman video. Uh, that was in the Morpaw swamp located around Saint James Parish here, um, in southeast Louisiana. Um, so you know, you introduce sugarcane, all the farming practices changed. Plus you have your Salvania that clogged up the swamp, it totally killed that area, which was at one time yeah. a mecca for waterfowl hunting, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. There there's no doubt about that. The so, one thing that we have besides I mean we have it all here. We have rice, soybeans, and corn. Yeah. And and then on top of that, when the when the Washita River gets up, we have pin Oak flats that the ducks will go and loaf in. You got you got what they call Upper Washita refuge that if you pull it up on the map, it's thousands of acres that touch the, the river. And when the river gets out of its banks it's nothing but a solid white oak pin oak flat that the ducks will get in i mean i got pictures on my phone 2 years ago i'm standing in knee deep water next to a next to an oak tree that's probably 150 years old yeah you know and i mean that's what it's like in stuttgart and and surrounding areas in arkansas i mean I used to go up and hunt Bayou Mito, or as they call it, Bayomita uh-huh. up there. And uh, – but, I mean, guys in Louisiana, South Louisiana especially, don't understand because you go, you ride, you ride your boat down the bayou, and it don't matter where you look, you can turn off in the woods. And when you step out of the boat, you're in knee-deep water, and it's like walking on concrete. I mean yeah. the only thing you don't you don't have to worry about falling over cypress knees you don't have to f- worry about none of that all you got to worry about is logs laid over trees that you got to step over
0: well yeah uh, I guess it, I guess it depends on where you are because there's a huge difference between like where we are in the Chattahoochee basin you got hard bottom which is cypress cypress yeah. tupelo you know oak tree flats but as you come more south, southeast. As you get, like I mentioned, in the Maripal Swamp, hell, you can't step out the boat in Maripal Swamp without sinking to your to your waist or your ass, because it, it's yeah. a it's swamp. It's a muck. It's a muck, unlike anything I've ever I ever experienced growing up. When I when I married my wife, who was from from Blucher, and I started hunting with my father, and they were laughing at me because I was trying to walk the swamp like a rookie, and <laughs> they had done it their whole lives, you know. And and yeah. here I am. Uh, you know, trying to walk this thing, and it's like I'm in quicksand. So there, yep. there's terrain differences for sure. You know, there's you definitely see yep. it as you come more south. You know, in, in in the state. So absolutely. But look, we we have about five minutes left in the show, Robert, and I, I just wanted to kind of ask a couple of questions. There's a there's a segment that we started last year on our Facebook social media page called Camp Chronicles, which I found very interesting. As hunters, of course, we know we, we we meet other hunters. That's one of the great things about our sport. That's one of the, the most fascinating things I, I enjoy about hunting public land. That's why I pursue a lot of public land hunting. That's one of the main reasons. You just meet so many people out there. You hear a lot of interesting stories. But the, the point of our Camp Chronicle series that we did last year was based off of one simple question that I would ask, I started asking a couple of people and I want to continue that into this season as we head into this waterfowl season this year. And and Robert, I'm going to, I'm going to put you, you're going to be next up on it. And and one simple question I have for you is give us an honest response of why do you hunt and what drives you to hunt? Um, Oh, wow. That's a
1: loaded question. Um, what, drives, what drives me to hunt is watching the sun come up and being in God's creation, number one. Um, just watching the woods come alive just really gets me going. Um, over the last 12 years, it's been watching my dog. Now, I just recently had to put him down. And we're, we're going through that struggle right now. But if I never fired a, a shotgun again, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be upset because my biggest thing is tricking the birds and watching my dog pick them up. I love, I love calling ducks. I love, I love learning when to call and what kind of calls to make them react to me. Um, knowing when to shut up, knowing when to when to hit them hard, knowing when to hit them soft, and just just make those wings touch together. That's that's what gets me. That's 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 what drives me to hunt.
0: Gotcha. Well, I, I'd say that's a pretty good answer, man. And, and many of us listening to the show would would probably one hundred percent be able to relate to you on that and, and agree with you on that. So. Yeah, I, I tell you, you know, when I started, I started doing this little series of Camp Chronicles last year. I asked my son; he was the first one, and, and he at the time he was ten years old. Robert, and you know Jackson really well. You he's, he, he's like an uncle absolutely. Him. And and he, it, it's. It, I wanted to start with him because I wanted to see a a child's perspective on it. He he's ate up with it. He loves it right now, and it's it's growing more and more with him every year. I, I see it. And I wanted him to be able. The great thing about this, the social media, and about us doing, you know, the stuff like we're doing here with Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors Podcast, um, is I want, to, I wanted to be able to offer them a, a, you know, basically a journal type, you know, opportunity yeah. to be able to look back years from now, and and say, hey man, you know, I shared this experience with my dad. Or, hey, I, I experienced this with Mr. Robert or Mr. Troy or whoever's part of our group. And, oh, yeah, boy, we, were, we we had a great time on this particular hunt. And it's not only about the birds. It's it's about the experiences. And I want him to be able to look back at that one day and and see that. But when I ask the grownups, my, my friends who are grownups now, who've been hunting their whole lives, like you and Troy and Jared and all all the guys that have been doing it, for years, ask you that simple question that I asked you, why do you do it? You know, what drives you? It's, it's, everybody has the same reaction. They pause and they're like, wow, I I never really thought about it. Nobody's really ever asked me that, you know? And... Well, the camaraderie, the camaraderie that that you make
1: with with everybody
0: is important to me. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. You know, so... But look, we guys, we appreciate all your support you've been giving us. We're really enjoying the, the, doing this podcast here. Uh, we do this because, you know, guys like me and Robert and and the other guys that we mentioned in the show that's part of our group all the time and, or just like you guys, we, we enjoy the great outdoors. We're blessed by the good Lord above to be able to get outside and do it without him. We could not have that opportunity. So don't ever take that for granted. Um, don't don't take your friends for granted don't take your your kids for granted that you bring out with you because it can all change in the blink of an eye and we know that um, but Robert it has been an absolute man I, I love you like a brother you know that um, I'd really like to get you on the show man if not on a weekly basis that we do it uh, at least a, uh, maybe once a month I, I, if, you, if you'd be willing to do that with us we'd love to have you I'm I- sure the, the guys listening would too
1: Absolutely, I want to come down there and go to the camp and and uh, go hunt sherbin some more.
0: Yeah, man, we, we're gonna do it. Hopefully, we uh, we we might make a little. If these temperatures drop, we might do a little till hunt next month. We might go for open weekend and and try to get out there. That's the game plan right now. Hopefully, it's not a hundred five degrees like it's been lately. Yeah, no doubt. You know how that goes. But guys, look. We have a lot of great content like we got on the show this week uh, for you up on our Anchor.fm app. You can catch our podcast, Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors, on any of the popular podcast streaming platforms. But most importantly, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Anchor.fm, which hosts our podcast on a weekly basis. Without Anchor.fm, we couldn't make this show possible to be able to get out to you guys. But it's available on Anchor.fm, your Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast. A lot of you have been listening and tuning in on Apple Podcasts. And, guys, don't forget to check out our social media pages. We did a lot of work this week on our YouTube our YouTube channel, guys. Go check us out on YouTube under Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoor TV. Uh, we have over 40 videos from the last uh, couple of years, just short vlogs, video clips, um, of trips that we've made and some, uh, some you know, uh, equipment videos that we did on equipment that we've used out in the field that we think could benefit you or maybe not benefit you in some cases. So we did a lot of work on our Facebook page this week uh, to update some information on there. Go check it out. If you like the content that you see, we ask you guys to click on the subscribe button and uh, ring the bell for notifications. When we have new videos hit YouTube, you'll be notified. You can also check us out as always on Facebook on the Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors and Instagram. We have a lot of good content up on our Instagram page. And Jackson, as I mentioned on the last couple episodes, got us into TikTok, Robert. So I don't know if you oh. TikTok or not, but uh, or we're gonna see what President Trump does with all that because from what I hear, TikTok is supposedly going away in four to five days. So, so we'll see. <laughs> I think a lot of stuff on- is going to go away
1: in 45 days
0: yeah. yeah we might not be on tiktok much longer but guys we are on tiktok <laughs> as we speak so so as long as we're not taking it now we plan on putting some content uh content on there jackson's been getting into the whole videography thing and he's starting to get into to being a uh, interesting in camera work and stuff like that so we look forward to uh getting you some action this year on some hunts we're not by, at, by any means professional when it comes to that so bear with us and we do it the best we can to be able to share our experiences with y'all but just want to thank everybody for tuning in again this week to this week's episode of last stop waterfowl outdoors robert want to thank you one more time man it was a blast i, I loved having you on the show and i want to thank you for your time and until next time guys,
1: thank you for having me
0: yeah no problem buddy until next time guys we hope to see y'all in the outdoors. Everybody stay safe and God bless. This is Jacob with Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors.